We are working our way through the New Testament letter uh, called Ephesians, a letter that the Apostle Paul in the first century wrote to the church in Ephesus. More accurately, we would say that he wrote it to the churches in Ephesus. There was a network of churches that would have received this letter. Uh, And this morning, we are going to be um, beginning chapter 6. So if you have a Bible... Uh, you can go ahead and open to Ephesians 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, you are welcome to use uh, one of the Bibles in the pew racks in, in front of you. Uh, and the page number um, that our passage is on is listed in the worship guide. Our worship guide uh, notes that we are going to be looking through verse 9, but we're actually, for this morning, only we're going to limit it um, through verse 4. So our focus this morning is chapter 6 of Ephesians verses 1 through 4. So this morning we are entering into the final chapter of this letter. Uh, We started this series back in September. Uh, The reason that we're doing this series on this particular book of the Bible is because what we said going back to September is that the new vision that we introduced uh, to the congregation is really grounded and rooted in uh, the book of Ephesians. What is Ephesians all about? Well, big picture, overarching theme, here's what we could say. God is at work in the world to put back all that is broken, all that is fractured in Jesus Christ. And then we could add to that and say that in that plan of God, in that project that God is committed to of making things whole again, his church, his people uh, holds a, has a central role to play in that. And hopefully, if you've been with us, you've been seeing that unfold on the pages of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Now, as we um, come to, as we, we started into chapter four, especially, there was a transition. I keep saying this. Um, the first three chapters of Ephesians were heavy on, you could say, doctrine, uh, heavy on teaching. Uh, and exactly what Paul was doing was that he was giving us an overview of the story of God, um, giving us an overview of um, what God is doing in the world. And then there's this transition as we get into chapter four, where Paul wants to take all of that beautiful, rich doctrine. Yes, I said beautiful and applied it to doctrine. Uh, Doctrine is meant to be beautiful. Uh, So Paul takes that beautiful doctrine and he begins in chapters four through six to unpack it and to apply it and to basically say, okay, now that I've given you an overview of the story of God, here's how you're meant to live in light of it. Here's how you are meant to embody the story. And last week we uh, started this section of the letter uh, where Paul begins to address uh, home life. Uh, Last week, he addressed husbands and wives. This morning, he's uh, addressing uh, parents and children. And next week, we're going to deal with this passage about slave and master and try to make sense of what's going on there. Um, But before I read the passage, uh, a reminder for those of you who were here last week, and this might be new to um, you if you weren't, um, what Paul is doing in this portion of Ephesians is not necessarily new. Paul is operating with what was referred to in the Roman Empire as a household code. In other words, the Roman Empire, and even um, prior to that, these ancient cultures were uh, accustomed to these household codes that basically um, 
gave rules and responsibilities for how home life was meant to uh, be worked out on a daily basis. And uh, a big theme here with the Apostle Paul, Paul uses that household code that they would have been accustomed to, but he really uh, subverts it. He transforms it. He does something different with it. And we're going to see an example of that again this morning as we get into the the parent-child relationship. But the question here that um, is really underlying this section is, what does it look like to practically embody God's story at home? In other words, what does it look like to live out relationship with Jesus in the context of a home? Let me read verses 1 through 4 for us. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's take a moment to pause and pray. Holy Spirit, open our minds, open our hearts, help us to find Jesus to be both believable and beautiful as we see him in this passage. Help us as a people to grow in wisdom, to know how to better embody the story of God in the everyday stuff of life. And we pray during this time, as we reflect on your word, that you would apply it to us, that you would bring it to bear on our lives in the way that that needs to happen this morning. For some of us, we're believing, others of us, we're disbelieving, and still others aren't sure of what we believe in this moment. But you have brought us together to this place, so we pray that you would apply Jesus to us. We pray for his honoring glory. Amen. I want to start with a quote that I started with last week. The quote comes from uh, a Bible teacher named Amy Bird, and Amy Bird says this. It is the beginning, talking about um, the Christian life, it is the beginning of a whole new life, not just an end to the old one. It is the beginning of a whole new life, not just the end uh, of an old one. What is Amy Bird getting at here? Well, really, she's getting at what the Apostle Paul has been getting at throughout this letter. Remember the context. Um, These uh, people to whom Paul is writing this letter were people who came out of pagan backgrounds for the most part. Uh, Jesus, the Christian faith, was foreign to them. But they encountered Jesus. Jesus changed them. They were converted, we might say. Uh, And they were brought into new life in Jesus. Now, on the one hand, they could have... Um, kind of interpreted what happened in their lives to say, okay, this is now the end of an old way of living, which that's obvious there's truth to that. But what Paul wants to emphasize here is that this is actually, this represents a a whole new beginning for you, a whole new way of life. And that's really the point here, that the Christian faith is not just something that we believe. Yes, we believe it. But it's not just something we believe. It's something that we live into. It's something that we live out in every area of life. Another theme in Ephesians is this idea that God wants to fill the world with the presence of Jesus. 
We, we ran into that in chapter one and then again into chapter four. In fact, our new vision statement as a church is that we exist to fill our diverse communities with the presence of Jesus. It comes from um, those passages in Ephesians. But that's what God's desire is. His heart is to fill the world with the presence of Jesus. Now, sometimes we're good at maybe thinking about that in the big picture. You know, we, we, we can affirm what I just said, that yes, we want to see the presence of Jesus fill the world, big picture. But guess what that includes? He also wants to fill our homes with the presence of Jesus. He wants to fill our workplaces with the presence of Jesus. He wants to fill our schools with the presence of Jesus. He wants to fill our neighborhoods with the presence of Jesus. And that's where it gets more difficult because it's easy for us to affirm big picture the Christian story, but then it requires wisdom and it gets harder to know how to live that out wisely in the everyday stuff of life. And that's what Paul is wanting to do here. Now, this, uh, this is the introduction to the sermon still, and this introduction is longer than most of my introductions, but it doesn't mean hopefully the sermon is going to be longer. So just want to say that up front. But I, I, I want to just make a few comments, um, almost kind of like a mini sermon with it. I'm, I'm really terrifying you now. Don't worry, we're not going to be here all day. But almost like a, a little mini sermon, kind of a tangent, but not really here in the introduction. When we come to a passage of Scripture like this, like the one last week, and it will be true again for the one next week, when we're dealing with the issues of family life, when we're, when we're dealing with the issues of home life, these are some of the most sensitive issues there are. And for some of you, as you sit here this morning, you have come into this place with incredible trauma from your home life, from your family life. And particularly as we focus on the parent-child relationship this morning, there, there is deep woundedness there. And as you heard me read the passage internally, maybe you're freaking out. And I want you to know that that's okay. Like, I expect that. That's normal. But maybe you're freaking out. You're wondering, okay, how, how does, first of all, how's this going to apply to me? And second of all, this topic just, I, I just feel dread when we come to this topic. I, I want you to know that I know that you're here. I know that you're present. I know that you are sitting here in our midst. And what I want to encourage you with is, may the church family be a source of healing for you. It could also be, particularly as we talk about the parent-child relationship, that you are here this morning and you long for a family. You long for a child. And it could be that you are not yet married, and so you long to be married, and you long to have children, and that has not happened for you in your life at this time. Or it could be that you are married, and you long to have children, and you've been trying to have children, and it's been a struggle for you. I want you to know that I know that you're here. I know that you're present. I know that you're sitting in our midst, and I want to encourage you to find the church to be a source the, the, the church family to be a source of healing for you. And the final thing that I want to say here is, wh why am I talking about this? Why am I bringing it up here in the introduction? It's not only for those categories, and I, I get it, there are many more categories of hearers here, um, but I can't go through them all because then the sermon will get um, very long. But 
I, I, I bring this up not only to speak directly um, to the hearers of those categories, but I, I bring it up for us all to hear this, because the church is intended by God to be a family. And we need to be aware of the various categories of hearers that make up our church family so that we might grow in sensitivity, that we might learn how to walk alongside others in their suffering. Remember, when the church in Ephesus received this letter, it was read aloud to the congregations. It was read aloud. And this section would have been read aloud, addressing husbands and wives, addressing parents and children, and then Next week, we'll look at dressing slaves and masters. But there were, there, there were obviously probably people in that church community that didn't necessarily fall into those categories. But the point is, the biblical story, God's story of redemption applies to us all, not just individually, but to us as a community, to us as a family. And we need to walk alongside those who are in different uh, seasons of life, different categories of life, so that together we might experience life in Jesus. New life in Jesus transforms the way that we relate in the home. And we're going to focus in this morning on the responsibilities of children and the responsibilities of parents. Let's begin by looking at the responsibilities of children. The introduction is officially concluded. Paul begins, children, and I just want to stop there for now. That's a big deal. That is significant where Paul begins here. Why is that? Because he addresses children. N.T. Wright, a theologian, says this, in addressing children as members of the church and in giving them rights and responsibilities, Paul is breaking new ground with the gospel. Now, that's amazing because that's something that you and I um, we, we just kind of glance over it. We, we overlook it. We, we just go on to read. But the, for those in the original audience who would have heard this letter read, and, among, and imagine children who were old enough to, to understand what was being said in this letter, it would have been revolutionary. It would have been stunning. Like, you know, it's possible that older children would have been like, wait, it, we're being addressed? What's this about? What's, what's new life in Jesus all about? And it's no different than what we saw last week. Paul began this section by first addressing wives, and the same thing would have applied. And then next week, we're going to see how he addresses slaves. This was revolutionary. Paul is, is not just simply going through the motions here. He is, in, in who he's even speaking to in this letter, he is doing groundbreaking theology, if you will. This is groundbreaking stuff. It's revolutionary. We talked some last week about how the ancient house code, remember I was talking about house codes, and this is a house code, basically just, all right, here, here's the code of conduct in the home. Here are the rules and responsibilities. And Paul's not inventing this. Um, there was an existing one in the Roman Empire, and there had been ones prior to that in ancient culture. But Paul is changing the game here. Paul's literally changing the rules. And this would have uh, stood out to those who were hearing this letter. But we talked last week about how the existing house, household code was oppressive. It was an oppressive structure. And what Paul is doing here, he's, he's virtually undermining the very basis of Roman society. 
Like if you, if you work out the implications of this, that's what he is doing. I think we, we talked about this last week, how the, house, the Roman household code existed for a purpose. It wasn't arbitrary. It existed for a purpose. It existed to tell the story of the Roman Empire. It existed ultimately to keep everything in line all the way up to Caesar so that Caesar was submitted to, so that Caesar was seen as the all-power authority. And, that, and, and below him, everything, they wanted to keep everything else in line and in place ultimately to make sure that Caesar was seen as Lord over all. The, household, the Roman household code was meant to tell the Roman story. And here Paul is drawing from this, um, this structure that would have been familiar to the people in Ephesus, but now essentially what he's saying is, you're going to live out a household code in such a way that you're going to tell a different story. You're going to tell a new story. You're going to tell the good and gracious story of God. And what was so unique, what was so new here is how you have mutual obligations between all of the parties of the home. Now, I'll say that more about that in a few moments. But children, that's where this begins. Paul addresses children as image bearers of God, of those who have a place those who have responsibility in the covenant community. God thinks children are pretty important. This is nothing new. We see this throughout the biblical story. And Jesus himself demonstrates this. There's a scene in chapter 18 of the Gospel of Luke. People were bringing uh, infants to Jesus that he may lay his hands on them and bless them. And guess what the disciples did? The disciples rebuked Jesus. You know, for the disciples, it's like, Jesus, we don't have time for this. There are so many adults to get to, to preach the gospel to, to heal. We don't have time to pause for you to lay your hands on these infants. We can return to the, you can return to them years later when they're older. And Jesus says this, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Children are an essential, integral part of the kingdom of God. Not because we always, we say this so often in church, because they are the future of the church. Yes, they're the future of the church, but children are the present of the church as well. Children are the present of the church. They have a critical role to play in the kingdom of God. Children bear the image of God. And this means that we cannot view our children in church life, in home life, we can't treat them as an inconvenience. And I think we all, us adults, need to repent of doing that, don't we? How often do we view children as an inconvenience? And, and I'm guilty of this as, as well, um, just thinking about various aspects of church life and like, oh, I forgot about children. Like, how, what are we going to do for the children? That should not be the approach. We have an invitation from God, a, a privilege to form our children in the ways of Jesus, to disciple them, to come alongside of them, regardless of how young they are. They are. Children are not a nuisance. They're not inconvenient they are part of God's kingdom. I know for my family, um, 
we very much feel like we have not been and are not on our own, for myself and Katie, my wife, in raising our children. Uh, I can say confidently that our church family, our community group, has helped to raise our kids. And I would have it no other way. And we've taken an approach as a family, especially when our girls were younger, that we are in this together. We are in ministry together, and our girls are not an inconvenience. They're not an obstacle to us doing real ministry, but we're actually going to do ministry with them because they're a part of God's kingdom. And yes, it creates all kinds of discomfort, all kinds of details that you have to figure out in life that are messy, but it's all worth it. And so I want to just use this as an opportunity to thank you. Thank you as a church family for investing in our children. So what does God expect of children? What are the responsibilities that children have here according to this verse? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, obey your parents. Sorry, kids. That's what it says. It's not coming from me. But none of us like to obey. We all like to be our own person. We like to be in charge of our lives. And so we hear that word obey, and you're not alone. If you are a younger, a younger person here this morning and you're like, oh, that word, I have the same reaction response to it. But that's more because of like what we read into it. And it could be because of trauma of hurt that you have experienced in home life. So I want, to, I want to acknowledge that. But here, God's desire is for children to obey their parents. Now, why? Why? Like, just because? Well, that, that's not a sufficient reason, and there are no just becauses when it comes to God and his story. Um, God has created the world to function in a way that all things would lead to shalom. That word shalom means flourishing. God wants his world, his creation to flourish. He wants people in relationships to flourish. And so these commands that he gives us are not bad. They're for our good. Even if we can't uh, always in moments or seasons of life fully understand it, God's commands for us are good. They're for our thriving and for our flourishing. Ultimately, this is obedience to God. When children obey their parents, they ultimately are um, living out faithfulness to God. And so I want to encourage you um, this morning, um, for those of you who are younger in our midst, that this is an opportunity for you to uh, live out your faithfulness to Jesus? What might it look like for you in your life to show that Jesus has made you new? One, just one way of that is obedience to your parents. Now, you know, we could say some of the same things that we said last week. Um, parents are, are, are not to ask their children to do things that are contrary to God's good design. Parents are not to take advantage of their children. Parents are not to abuse their children. And so the assumption here uh, by Paul is that parents are asking their children to walk in the ways of Jesus. And 
And, and I should say this too. Parents aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. My, my girls can tell you that I'm not perfect. Um, but parents who are walking with Jesus and seeking what is best for their children um, are doing so out of wisdom and a longing for children to walk in the paths of wisdom. Now, we could add to that. Paul says, verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Uh, Paul here is quoting from the Ten Commandments. Uh, He's quoting from specifically the fourth commandment here, to honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you. See, here we're now getting... Um, and an indication of what God uh, designed and what he desires for us. That it may go well with you. The assumption here is that generally speaking, parents, the parents that Paul's addressing here, are raising their children in Jesus. They want to see their children flourish and grow in Jesus. And so um, their commands in general are, are rooted in that. And so that when children respond in obedience to their, children, to their parents, what's happening? That in general, it will go well for you. Now, we have to know something about wisdom here, especially wisdom literature in the Bible. Like if we were to look at the book of Proverbs, we actually did that a couple years ago. Um, Proverbs can be confusing sometimes because they make statements. And if we take them to be um, statements that are always true without exception, then the Bible misspeaks. Um, because there, we know that there are all times in life, regardless of age, where we can do the right thing and it may not go well for us in a certain sense. But here, this, Paul is speak, using wisdom. He's applying wisdom that uh, the people of his culture would have been used to. And he's saying that in general, if you live in obedience to your parents, it will go well with you. And then there's this reference to the land. It, Going back to the Ten Commandments, this was a reference to the physical land that Israel was going to inherit. Um, I, I think that a broader application can be here is that um, as we walk in the ways of Jesus, as we embody his story together, it creates a physical environment in our spaces that we occupy as people in which the, those spaces are filled with the presence of Jesus. We all benefit. We all thrive and flourish as we seek to follow Jesus faithfully in our relationships. So what if you feel like you're not living faithfully in this area to your parents? And by the way, I forgot to say this. um, When Paul, when he begins, children um, obey your, your parents, He's um, speaking to children who are in the context of the home and living under the authority of their parents at that time. Um, But then when he refers to the the commandment from the Old Testament, it broadens in terms of honor. Um, As we grow older, um, God still calls us to honor our parents, but it's going to look different um, in some ways than it did maybe when we were at home under their, their authority. But, you know, what happens if you don't have two parents at home? What happens if you're being raised by somebody who is not one, either your mother or your father? What happens if something has happened and that's an area that has brought trauma to you and hurt and pain? And this is the thing about families. 
Families are meant to be beautiful places where we experience the love of God together. But when it goes wrong, when people don't respond in obedience to God and live faithfully, it can cause great grief and pain. And so the application would be to um, respond faithfully in obedience to the guardian over you in the home. Again, the assumption here is that that guardian is seeking to care for you, protect you, and walk with you in the ways of Jesus. But what if you feel like you're, you're just not living faithfully in this area of life? Like you haven't obeyed your parents. You haven't done a good job of it. You look at this past week and you can find examples where that's true. It, it, it comes back to something basic but big. I'm sorry. And I'm going to apply, I'm going to say the same exact thing when we get to parents here in a few moments. But the words, I'm sorry, can be so liberating for you and for the person that you have wronged. Uh, forgiveness in Jesus is real. New life in Jesus is real. And so you can begin with, I'm sorry. But then you can begin by speaking to Jesus, praying to Jesus, and to ask for his power, for his new life to flow through you to help you grow in this area of life. Let's talk about the responsibility of parents. Paul goes on, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, so Paul speaks um, explicitly here to fathers, but this applies as well to mothers because um, even if we go back to what we've already read, um, Paul calls children to obey both father and mother. But there's a reason why Paul is speaking directly to fathers here, and it has to go back to how the household code worked in ancient times. We've talked some about how it was an oppressive structure, The reason that it was an oppressive structure is because the father, the husband of the home, was given complete control and power um, to do as he pleased. There was even a, a, a law for this. It was referred to as the father's power, the father's power. And it was in place to ensure that the, the, the father had power, as I said, to do as he pleased. He had unlimited control. He had the power to decide whether to keep a child or not when it was born. Roman Empire children would literally be brought to the feet of the father, and depending on what the father thought, sometimes the father would be disposed of. This became actually a a big deal in, in how the early, one of the ways that the early church grew, because it cared for these children who were just um, disposed of in that way. But the the father had this kind of power. He could sell family members as slaves if he chose to. He could make them work in his field with chains. Uh, And he could even take the law into his own hands to punish his children. And so there's a reason why Paul is speaking directly to fathers here. And he's uh, undoing the household code as it was known in the Roman Empire. Paul's basically saying to fathers, stop it. Stop. You are now a follower of Jesus, and new life in Jesus is meant to show Christ-like character in the context of your home, and now you have to relearn how to be a father according to the ways of Jesus. Again, this would have been significant. As this letter was read to the community, you know, I could imagine fathers like, like feeling nervous, feeling like, uh-oh, speaking to me, and 
yeah, if this Jesus stuff is true and I'm really his follower now, then there's a lot that has to change in how I uh, interact with my, my, my children. He uses this word, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That word provoke. Um, what this implies here is that the kind of anger that Paul is speaking to of the child is actually a righteous anger. It's an anger that has been caused because of the father's sinful behavior. It doesn't just simply refer to frustration, anger, or anxiety. Um, as we look back at like, other places of literature this time, the Old Testament, um, it's used to describe God's just anger, his just anger, his righteous anger. A provoked child has the right to uh, demonstrate this kind of anger because it's inconsistent with the beliefs that are uh, presumably being talked about now in the home. That is, we are seeking to follow Jesus as a family. Remember, fathers, but also mothers, parents, and general guardians, we, what we do, how we interact with our children, how we interact with family members in general in the home, goes a long way in shaping the view of God for our children. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times um, like I, I pastor people and we come to this realization that their view about a certain thing, their view about God, has largely been shaped by the trauma and maybe abuse um, or um, just sinful patterns of behavior uh, in the home. So this is significant stuff. And, and I've been, in studying this week, I've been dwelling on this a lot. You know, I like to think that in general I'm a pretty good father, but I've just been humbled by the fact. It's sobering to realize that the, the way that I interact with my children um, it plays such a big part for them, especially in my case because I'm a pastor, has plays such a big part in shaping their view of Jesus. And it causes me to tremble a little bit. I mean, at least it has in this past week. But our calling in this way is a serious calling. This is what discipleship is all about. And he goes on, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Of the Lord. Notice what Paul has done here in this section. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then to parents, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We saw, it, um, we saw the same thing last week um, in the passage prior to this, talking to husbands and wives. The reference point is always Jesus. Jesus is our relational model. Jesus is our relational pattern. How is it that we, we, we should regularly on a daily basis in the context of our homes and all of life be asking the question, okay, what has Jesus done for me? And what does that show me, teach me about who Jesus is? What his character is like? And then by the power of the Spirit, and that's important to say here, because if you go back to Ephesians 5, the reason that Paul went down this road to where we are now is because he was talking about being filled with the Spirit. That's the context for uh, the household code here. Paul is basically saying, okay, you want to know what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit in your home? You demonstrate Christ-like character in your relationships. 
Parents, um, were training and instruction, this bringing them up in uh, instruction and discipline of the Lord is a form of discipleship in the home. It's an approach to parenting in which we're seeking to cultivate love for God in our children. This is really important for us as parents to think about because are the rule structures we put, are putting into place, are they just simply rules and structures for us to ha- exercise control? Or are they being put into place in order to cultivate relationship with Jesus? For us to experience Jesus in the physical environment in our home. So that together as a family, regardless of what that family looks like, whether there's one parent, two parents, how many children are in the context of the home, the home will begin to be filled with the presence of Jesus. And so our goal here is not just to get children to obey for the sake of it. What does it say? Of the Lord. Of the Lord. And so that has to, at some level, get to the heart, right? Has to get to the character. Uh, This has always been a struggle for me in parenting, especially when my, my girls were a little bit younger, but it still applies. There were times where I wanted them to do something just because I wanted to be comfortable, right? Because they were interfering with me wanting to do whatever I was doing. They were interfering with my comfort in life. Well, that's not what Paul's talking about here. That's the old way of living outside of Jesus. That's the old story. This is the new story of the Lord, of the Lord. What does it look like for us to actually want Jesus for our children. And so we're not just looking for behavior modification, behavior management. We're looking for character transformation in Jesus, like lives to be transformed. And that has to be beginning with us. All right, maybe you're feeling beat up. I am, somewhat. There's grace here. There's forgiveness here. None of us have it all together in any area of life. And family life is a mess. Whenever you are in relationship, especially close proximity, um, a lot of the time, there's always going to be mess, right? There's, there's no family that can avoid mess. We're all, we're all sinners. None of us has it all together. But, and so maybe as a parent, you're, you're kind of dwelling on this and you're thinking, yeah, this isn't just been like, a couple bad weeks for me. I feel like this has been years of me being a bad parent and there's no way to undo it. I want to encourage you to come at this through the grid of the good news of Jesus. Jesus knows and Jesus' grace is big enough to handle all of your sin. When Jesus, and this applies to children as well, applies to all of us. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for certain sins, for smaller sins. He died for the whole of our sins. And so there's forgiveness to be found, even when it comes to these most intimate relationships of life. It could be that the path forward for you is going to be a long one, because it's going to involve repentance, turning from your unhealthy ways of parenting. And it's going to have to include you saying these words to your children. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
Not just one time, but regularly. And this is a form of discipleship. It's a form of discipleship because it models for us, for our children, life in the home, life with, with Jesus. It's a life of regular repentance and faith. Repentance means turning away, turning around. So turning from our sin, our old ways of living, turning to Jesus in his grace and new ways of living in him. Jesus is able by his presence and by his grace to fill you with his spirit and empower you to be a different kind of parent as you look into the future. And let me tell you this, if you seek this, and you ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit in this way, and you ask for God's grace, God can bring healing to you and to your family. doesn't mean that all of the damage that's possibly been done is going to be undone. There are some things in life that will not be made completely whole until Jesus returns in the new heaven and the new earth. But we can experience on this side of the new heavens and the new earth substantial healing. It is available to us in Jesus as we seek his forgiveness and commit to living in his ways by his, the power of his spirit on a daily basis. We're a mess. God is gracious. That's the message of the biblical story. There's hope for all of us. I want you to hear that. I, 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 don't, want you, I don't want this sermon to conclude and for you as a parent or child or in another season of life for you to feel like, to feel despair. I want you to feel hope. The point of this message is that there is a new way. And even if you feel like you've been a pretty good parent over the years, there's still a new way for Jesus to take you deeper, more fully into his purposes for you as a parent. Now, let me conclude by saying this, bring it back to church family as a whole. Everything that I just said in different ways applies to us collectively as a people, as a church family. It applies in terms of living out relational commitments to one another. It applies to how relationships are always messy, but God is gracious. And God desires for us to live out relationships in which we are repenting. We're saying, I'm sorry to, to God, but also to others and experiencing his grace and learning to walk in new, healthy ways of living. Family life works best. Family life in the individual homes thrives and flourishes when we are committed to this as a church family. Even if you are not married, like what might it look like for your home to be filled with the presence of Jesus? What might hospitality look like? But even beyond that, what might it look like for us to be in relationship together like take our children, for example, of our covenant community, together, regardless of whether we have children or not, to seek to bring them up in the ways of Jesus, to contribute to this goal together. And I grow, I mean, I can tell you this, that there are um, single women, for example, single men in my community group that have taught me how to be a better father in the ways that they have cared for my children. And it's impressed upon me the realization that, wow, we're in this together. And they're causing me to strive to want to become better by God's grace. Like, this isn't just something that happens privately in homes. But we, we said, given the fact that this letter was read aloud, th these relationships that Paul talks about are public life relationships. 
And we are in this together, regardless of season of life, regardless of other details. We need one another to live in obedience to Jesus, even in home life. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would fill our diverse communities with your presence. We pray that you would fill our homes with your presence. Show us what it might look like for us to embody your story in such a way that we as your people would bring your presence to these spaces of our lives. I pray this morning that you would encourage us in the Holy Spirit, that you would place within us a desire to grow, to change, uh, to be more like Jesus in our relationships in life. And I pray also that you would allow us to come to the foot of the cross, to find forgiveness for our shame, uh, healing for our pain. We pray that you would be present to us as we wrestle through these real uh, issues uh, uh, of life. May we, may we know that you are with us. And may we as a church community walk alongside each other. In all of the seasons of life, I pray that we would grow in sensitivity that we would learn to suffer well with one another, and that together and for one another, we would demonstrate Christ-like character so that the presence of Jesus would become more visible and more experienced. We pray in his name. Amen.